Okay, you got that new jam bringing us in. Welcome to the greatest Tuesday I've had all week, and this is the True Wealth Radio Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn. Joining me in studio this week, we're mixing it up a little bit. Yep. So, uh, Justin Ruggerman, thanks for joining me. Glad to be here. <laughs> yeah. my own. I know. It's funny because I, I I'm always trying to convince Justin to come on the radio more because he is one of our, the best planners we have in the office. He's really good at this stuff, but he's it's it's funny. You think like, oh, you know, talker guy, but and you, when we get you going, yeah, yeah. But uh, getting Justin going takes a little bit. He's he's such a good listener, ladies. Yeah. On the spot. <laughs> no, he does great. Look, um, we had an idea for the show that's a little different. Okay. And, and I'll tell you where it came from. It came from first the, what if I'm doing this show on my own today? Which could happen. You know, why would you be doing the show on your own? Well, one, uh, because it might be difficult to get Justin here. Yeah, it has happened. Before, hasn't it? Oh, I've done the show before on my own, but it's not as fun. Uh, but the other reason is because um, Matt isn't in studio today. Right? So I was thinking about what are things, you know, we talk about the, the political climate, we talk about the economic climate, the markets, all that stuff's pretty typical. But there's this recurring theme that seems to have come up recently with a handful of our clients, and it's it's an odd one. But it's one we're talking about. We have clients that have more money than they plan to spend in their lifetime. Right. And the question is, how do you know when you've arrived at that point where it's actually okay? You don't need that, like you're allowed to spend some money. Right. Okay. And so I want to spend a little time today talking about some of the the parts of developing a good financial strategy that maybe don't get talked about as much and, and why aren't they talked about that much okay well mainly because people just want to know am i gonna have enough money so look, I, I think that is and i think the industry itself is a little guilty of this too which is we tend to talk about the things that are revenue generators right okay so uh, that's a fancy way of saying sales guys talk about things they're selling or sales gals, right? I use the term. We're in the Pacific Northwest. Guys is unisex here. Yeah. And the way politics is going, like, you know, it's also, you know, a nondescript term. So we're just going to run with that, right? Because whatever. Um, so there's things that people, like, like, they don't get brought up a whole ton. Like, like here's a random example, but Social Security. Okay. How often does that get talked about in your planning strategy. You come into an investment shop and they say, okay, well, are you considering, like, how Social Security considered in your plan? Right. right. I think it usually is. It's just, when are you taking Social Security? Yeah. That's the most typical. And people are like, as soon as I can take it or I'm going to wait until I'm 70. Right. Right. There, There seems to be, that's the two decisions. I want it now or I want it as big as possible. Right. And, there might be more nuance to it than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, so, Justin, when you have a client that comes in and they have uh, a healthy financial plan and they've retired and, and they're, they're settling, you know, what are some of the signs that you say, hey, uh, you, know, you may need to, well, not need to, but you, you have the option to spend more. How, how do you 
How do you identify that for a customer? I wouldn't say you know how to identify it. I guess you could tell just by the nature of just speaking with them that they're just savers and they just, they spent their whole life savings and even sometimes it's money they didn't expect and it doesn't alter their lifestyle, even though it could. And they just, it's panic. They don't know what to do. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I think the saver versus spender, uh, we almost made this show uh, the the concept of like what are what are the things that um, it was like a message to Dave Ramsey followers right because mm-hmm. and that's still in here a little bit it's just we've expanded beyond that topic right um, I'll I'll pull this out back for a second to give you an idea uh, Dave Ramsey's been sort of a cultural phenomenon right Dave he's, he's the get out of debt guy yeah and we are I'm not here to trash Dave Ramsey. Let like, me really clear. Like we have our office has previously uh, done Financial Peace University, mm-hmm. right? We have had uh, we've been a whatever they call their equivalent. It's it's not an it's a smart investor is what they call it. They changed the name, right? It used to be endorsed local provider, but they changed it because there's regulations. Right? Um, it, it is a referral based program, but what it essentially said was, do you largely align with the value system of what Dave Ramsey's teaching? And largely, yes. Okay. And, and why do I say largely? Because then once you get to use subjective terms, you know, you can only squeeze me so much. Right. <laughs> uh, there are these basic steps of the Dave Ramsey plan, and he calls them baby steps, but I'm going to break them down and then give you an idea. How do you recognize when you might be in the spot where, hey, you've trained yourself to, to spend money never? Right. Weird, right? Because a lot of you out there, this conversation is not for you, Right. You're really good at spending, right? And it's the other conversation. It's the conversation Dave Ramsey's having with you going, hey, knucklehead, I'm going to have to give you some hard and fast rules so you don't spend money that doesn't exist, right? Because we can't all act like the federal government. It's almost the more common. Oh, it's definitely more common. (laughs) There's no question that um, the the lack of, it's not just lack of financial training, though. I think human nature is a lot of folks that are... um, they're pretty short-sighted in terms of how they structure their lives. Right? I've said this before, that people spend more time planning their next meal than they spend planning their retirement. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. almost everybody spends more time planning their next vacation. Yeah. Right? I mean, they just do. Because that's like, well, that's fun and interesting, right? But But who plans for something that far out? And yet... Studies will show that the people that are the most financially successful are those that are the most capable of deferring gratification. Mm-hmm. So the, the natural saver, we're going to talk to you today. Okay, we're going to talk specifically about you. Uh, to the natural spender, Dave Ramsey says, here's this plan to not screw it up. Right. So the plan is you need some emergency cash in the bank. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is you got to get a thousand bucks scraped together. That number, if it was indexed for inflation, would be higher. But the point is not the thousand dollars. The point is you, you need to do something and check a box that says you're on your way, right? It's like how many people fail at a New Year's resolution? Like lots. <laughs> Why? Because it's not the routine. So, you, so it needs to be achievable pretty quick. So the bar is set low on that one. It does serve a purpose, right? What's the purpose of the $1,000? Well, one, to show that you can save it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, it's just beginning steps to your emergency fund. Yeah, it's the first step. And it's also to 
get in the habit of not turning to the credit card again. Right. Right. Because that's what most of the folks have done here. And so then it is you have to stop using the credit cards and you got to come off. Yeah. And and you cut them off because they're physically gone. Like that's the thing. Like they're gone. You can't do it. Somebody's like, ha ha, I have it on my Apple Pay. It's like, All right. Well, then you really you can't game yourself on this one, right? Like you're, you're not you're not pulling one over on Dave Rams. Pulling it over on yourself, right? I'm in denial. Okay. So thousand dollars, and then you start paying off the debt, smallest of babies, which is not the most efficient way to do it. No. But it is the most probable that you'll be successful. Yeah. Why? Because you get to complete, you get to check boxes. Yeah. You, you get to march them off the list. Yeah. And you develop momentum. And momentum develops, uh, it, it encourages you so that you keep going, right? You need a series of victories so that it seems possible. Because what I see most of the time when people are like really over their head, yeah, they, it's just too daunting, can't do it. And it's hard to get started. It's just too big. So this is the equivalent of breaking into bite-sized pieces and giving you a recipe that you can attack. Right. All right. So then you pay off the credit cards and then you, uh, Dave says, Hey, you can have a mortgage on a house. I think that's reasonable, especially because the price of housing, yeah. right? But it's better to like, try to save outright for a house while simultaneously paying rent to somebody else, right? You're, you're enriching somebody else while you are not, uh, adding equity to your own assets. So um, a home is something you need to have. It's typically appreciating in value if you buy it properly and it's the type, you know, solid home. There are situations where they're not, you know, you're leasing land and you put a a, a mobile, a manufactured home right. or something like that, where it's like, well, it's unlikely that that's going to appreciate. It's going to actually wear out. Mm-hmm. And so now you have a product on land you don't own. So you're back to, it's like a car, right? It's going to lose value. But um, yeah, so, so, Buy the house, start saving for college and retirement, and so forth. Um, and and also, I guess before the house, what do you do? You put in place an emergency fund, okay. right? Three to six months of your uh, living expenses, and it depends on if you're by yourself or not, right? So the, the more people counting on your income, the more you need to save for, and the less diversified your income stream, right? If you're a sole owner uh, or sole sole income earner of your household, buy six months, right? Because if you're not working. Nobody is, right? So there's no, you know, slowing the bleeding here. And then, you know, you talk insurance and everything else. So that's the basics of your financial plan, right? Mm-hmm. What does Dave Ramsey not talk about? How to spend it. How to spend it. Um, it just says, you know, live cheap, yep. right? Uh, what is, does he talk about credit at all? No. no it says don't have it, no, right? It's, it's that simple. Uh, and, and yet he says, well, you can have a mortgage, right? And, and, and he may not necessarily agree with that in a weird way, but, but I think he also uh, understand that if you're a saver, Dave may not be talking to you. No. Right? That's going to sound weird, right? Now, if you're wondering, why am I saying that? Well, we're going to unpack some more of that. Like, why was Dave Ramsey maybe not talking to you specifically? But we're going to take a break first because we have to do that sort of thing on this show. So... Stick around, and when we come back, if you're wondering, is Dave Ramsey talking to me? Well, we're going to pack some of that after this break. Stick around. I'm Dave Littlejohn. And, and you got True Well on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN.
All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where uh, while there are still technical issues going on behind the scenes uh, for like the online broadcast and so forth, we will be uh, pulling this together to even grab the podcast. If you missed out, go to our website at littlejohnfs.com and you can get uh, last week's episode, this week's, they'll all be pulled together and available. Uh, and also, it'll be on the YouTube channel. So if you want to see um, my great looking voice and Justin's <laughs> face, then you could do that. So, um, we're talking today about, uh, you know, when is it okay to spend money? Right. An interesting conversation. When's it okay to spend money? And we're also, uh, for those of you, I asked the question as we're going to the break, uh, to, uh, you know, is Dave Ramsey talking to me? Right. Am, am, am I the, the person Dave Ramsey is targeting? Um, so I want to start with that question. Justin, who, first let's say, who's Dave Ramsey really talking to, do you think? I know it's, it's subjective here, but what do you think? You know, who's the audience for Dave Ramsey? What's well, mainly, I think, people that want have struggle financially with credit card debt in general. And then I think it's also geared more towards younger generations as they're coming into the workforce just to create the habits to not get into the same trouble that people are now. And especially even currently with interest rates, how they are now, even the cost of that, what it was two years ago to what it is now is drastically different. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting to me because it's this structure, right? And, and I think some people really thrive with structure. Not everybody does, but, uh, and, and if, yes, the people that are like in debt over their head, it's, it, it's a formula that says, Hey, if you do this, you really can't screw it up. Right. Right. It's funny to say that because in finance, you don't make guarantees. And I guess I'm not making a guarantee when I say this, but when you say you can't screw it up, I don't know what it takes to screw this up. If you spend less than you make, and you save some, then you will always live on less than you're bringing in and you'll have reserves. So it's really hard to screw that up, right? The only way that it happens is some kind of really expensive accident where you find yourself on the hook for a liability right. that it was just so expensive and uninsurable, but, but somehow still attachable to you, right? And it just kind of ruins your life. I think about the scenario of the person that's just getting started and they get really sick, you get cancer or something or a heart attack and they, they don't die. Right. And they're just hammered with like a huge medical burden. And then you go, well, now what? Right. And I like, well, you're still here. Yay. But look at this uphill battle. Okay. And then how am I supposed to do this? And yeah. Okay. So, but, but that is sort of like trying to legislate to the minority, the, to the one case, right? You just can't, make a rule that applies to the one case and say it's good for everybody. Right. Uh, so then who is Dave Ramsey not talking to? Well, I guess people that are retired. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, if you're retired, it's less so. Which I guess still parts of it you kind of could, depending on yeah. what your income is, uh, what your income sources are. Um, and then people that have just even follow those steps for so long that they just they have more than they'll ever need. Even what they consider as a 
whatever safe withdrawal rate would be, or to go buy and use that money to purchase another product that will pay even more interest rate. It's trying to get those people to spend money. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I'd say I don't know that there's anybody Dave Ramsey's not talking to, but I think because I think the, 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 the basic principles are pretty sound, right? Yeah. Um, I just think sometimes the nature, like, like Dave Ramsey makes it so formulaic because for some people out there, that's what's needed. Mm-hmm. Right? But for a lot of folks, especially the saver out there, we have a different problem with you know, savers are interesting to me because they show up and they keep putting money, squirreling it away. Mm-hmm. They're very, very conservative in nature. They're oftentimes not necessarily even investors. And they have no intention of spending the money. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do in their head. They're like, well, someday if I need it for this thing, it'll be exactly. there. And then you see these opportunities when someday shows up and they still don't use it. Right. Right. And so I, I, I mentioned this because if you develop a culture of never spending, then you didn't really give the money a job. Yeah. Right. The money. Right. If you think about money has a job. Right. What's because what does money do? Right. Stores value. Okay, stores the value to do what? Like, what do you need to store the value for, right? If you're not going to use it, why Why are you storing value? If it's not going to be traded for something, is it value? No, right? And then it becomes, well, it's going to be value for somebody else. And then you have to ask yourself, great, well, then am I saving myself poor to end up giving it to somebody else someday who's not going to share my value system and then they're going to squander it? Yeah. In which case... Was it worth it? <laughs> but money comes with weird baggage. Right? I mean, like how you how we learn to treat money, it's built built on baggage. I mean, have you ever heard about the uh, the Great Depression mentality? We don't see it much anymore just because generationally most folks have aged away, right? They're not here anymore. Right. The great Great Depression generation. You probably didn't see a whole lot of this in your career, did you? That's all I know. Savers. Yeah. Very big savers. Well, it's, it was very much a scarcity mentality. Um, you, know, you hear stories about people that would like rinse and reuse aluminum foil. Right. And you, you think about that, you know, that is really interesting because of the amount of effort involved to do that. And, to that person, the object had a tremendous amount of value, but their time didn't. Right. Right. And so they had to protect the resource. It was like, it was very, very finite. And so we need to preserve that resource because there, there's not going to be more available. And that level of scarcity, when you're you know, early on in childhood, it, it you know, marks you and it becomes a, a permanent habit in many cases. Yeah. Or yeah, people take the flip side of it. Which is why I've been there and I'm never going back. And right. they, they take like risky behavior, but it's still in response to that situation, right? So how do we how do we help folks to arrive in a healthy place where you can know that it is okay to spend some money? Yeah, I mean, I guess for me it's more have a plan. Have a plan for the money. Okay. I mean, what is your is it to give it to the next generation? Or is it to make sure you never ran out of money? Mm-hmm. Is it to give away as much as possible? Which there's other reasons you could let people spend the money just for tax purposes, giving it away. Right. Uh, 
And then just maybe it just you save long enough if you want to step up your lifestyle, do it. Right? But that's going to be a hard thing to convince somebody that naturally is just... It's true. When you have a lifestyle, it's really sort of... Uh, you really adopted and leaned into it. It's mm -hmm. hard to change that because it's kind of your identity then. So I, I like where, it, you know, obviously we're planning. So we're going to say stuff like, Hey, have a plan. Okay. Um, I think that the, that's oftentimes too generic though, saying like, Hey, have a plan. Right. So let's talk about some of the things that could genuinely get in somebody's way. They don't realize it. Uh, I don't know that a lot of people realize that if you have more than a million dollars worth of stuff to your name, the state of Oregon wants to take a chunk of it when you die. Right. And if you're married, then it's a million dollars for you and a million dollars for, for your spouse. If you structure it properly, right. you structure it improperly. It's a million dollars for both of you. Right. So I'm not sure how many people understand that, but you know, you may be uh, unintentionally giving some money to the government that you don't have to, that you could, uh, if it's going to somebody else anyway. So we have this phrase, right? Uh, when is the money for? There's money now, money later, and money never. Okay. Money now. I need to spend it right now. Money later. I'm saving it for a future need. Money never is, I'll probably never spend the money. It's going to go to heirs or a charity or something like which can still be an heir. Sorry. So it's going to somebody after I die. The question is, who? Right? Who? So... Understanding that, uh, it's, it's great. And then the, we have another problem too. If you're in the position of like, what if I have, uh, no money for right now? Okay. Well, that's different conversation. And, and we're not, we're not digging into that one as much today. We will, right? And if you're watching like the videos and stuff and trying to do that, we'll get in there. Right. So throw it in the comments if you want us to, um, you know, cover some of these things specifically, but that's not what this shows about. This shows about especially our folks that are in retirement have amassed pretty good nest eggs. Uh, compound interest is, has caught up. They're now earning more than they're spending each year. And the question is, well, now what? Okay. So what are some things that people can uh, look at, right? And you've already said, well, lifestyle is one of them. Right. Um, estate planning with planned giving, right? Right. Like where you're intentionally giving to other places. Um, you could do impact giving, right? It's not necessarily designed for when you die, but it's to say, oh, there's, there's things that I care about right. and I have the resources so I can back those things. Uh, you notice a lot of the theme around this is that it somehow gets spent. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, but isn't that anyway? So it's basically, it's it's lifestyle. I mean, if, if you have adequate reserves, it becomes lifestyle and planned giving. Mm -hmm. And I think those are the two big categories. Yeah. You know, and we can get granular with like, well, plan giving for what? Right. Okay. But still giving it away. And lifestyle is just saying buy stuff that you want. Yeah. Okay. I'm not really advocating everybody turning to like consumers. No. <laughs> but I am saying if you're just saving it forever, then who's, who is it supposed to benefit? Because there's another conversation I think we could have. Right. It's an interesting one, probably good for, you know, what we should probably do is hold it for a break. I, I, the question is, what about the values? Like if you are, if you want to, do you have planned giving? How do you pass values on with the money? Okay. Right. It's a trick question. 
So if you're wondering, like, I don't know how we're going to pass values on, uh, a few ideas. So why don't we do this? We'll grab a break. When we come back, then we talk a little bit about, all right, well, if I have to give it away anyway, how do I make sure it doesn't, I don't blow it up, right? Or I blow somebody else up because they're going to be reckless. That and more, but we got to take a break. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Justin Bradley. Yeah, true well. On News Radio 929 FM and 1240. KQEN. All right, so we decided we like it when the guitar riff starts to kick in before we bring the show back yeah. on. So yeah, yeah, we hear that cool jamming guitar. Welcome back to the True Well Show. Uh, Dave Littlejohn in studio today with Justin Bergman. All right, so um, we're, we're talking today about like when's it okay to spend. We've been talking a little bit about uh, the underpinnings of the Dave Ramsey philosophy and why that's so important for some people, but other folks. They're, they're really natural savers. They're not spenders. And so they find themselves with uh, money in retirement. They're trying to figure out, well, you know, what happens? Because I can just keep saving this and it ends up going somewhere else. Right. Right. And then, and then I have these questions that follow along with it. it was this, well, is this just going to happen because that's not what you intend? Or do you want this to go to somebody else? And if so, are there any values associated? that you believe are important that the person receiving this money understands and tries to put into practice. Right. This is a little tricky because it's sort of like, can you control stuff from the grave? <laughs> and, and the answer is kind of, <laughs> kind of, but, but not really. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can't, it, it's like you, you can't you change your mind. From right. You can't change your mind. And also, you can put guardrails around people so that they'll behave in certain ways because there's no other alternative, but you can't make them think the way you did or change their belief structure if they don't want to, right? right? Like I said, you you can force people to do something, but you can't change their heart and their mind. So um, when it comes to values, what we can do is you could protect people from themselves a little bit. Okay, And this is the idea of, here, here's a simple way to think about this. Someday you're going to die. Somebody's going to get stuff. You can put restrictions on how they get access. Right. Right. And the question would be, right, here's an example, right? Oh, well, what if it's going to be a four-year-old? Okay. Right. We're not going to just let the four-year-old have access to the funds. Right. And it may be that even when that four-year-old is legally old enough to sign contracts and they're 18, they still shouldn't have access to the money. But they may need to get the benefit of that money, right? So that's when you can put in place things like a trust and a trustee that is responsible for distributing funds on behalf of your beneficiaries. So there are ways to do this, right? And honestly, it's kind of dry on the show. If we were to go through all that, like you guys are going to be uh, just channel surfing because I'm going to bore you with it. So I don't really want to get into a lot, but, but, but transferring the value, some of it is talk about it now. Right. So, right. Hey, if you're going to get this someday, this was important to me, and I hope that you will honor that. Mm -hmm. And then some of it is putting control mechanisms on how the heirs receive it. Uh, and there are things like uh, it's available for maintenance, education, and support. Okay, which okay, so it pays for the cost of living, it pays for food, it pays for school. It doesn't necessarily pay for a new Ferrari. Sure. Okay. Good. Uh, or maybe not good, but I think it's good. I'll have to say that. Uh, I'll just put my own editorial opinion right in there. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that we should give eighteen-year-old Ferraris. I just. I just don't know that that works out well. 
Okay, well, good to talk about that. Those when you were 18, the Ferrari wouldn't be great. Yeah, would it? <laughs> yeah, you have a Ferrari, it sounds great. And all of the other bad decisions that follow, I just don't know. Uh, but that's old me saying that. So I think 18 year old me would have been like, I like Ferraris. So what are you going to do? All right. Um, getting back to like the more of the reality check. So if you've got some money, it's in retirement. Uh, you started to talk about this a little bit, Justin. I'm going to frame this up. During the break, you guys didn't get to hear some of this. We were just talking through. Um, we have clients that come in and they end up with pensions and social security, and then they have retirement plans and they discover that they have built their lifestyle at a certain price. Like yeah. they just know what they're going to spend each month and they're still saving every month. Right. And they still have retirement plans. And then at some point those retirement plans have mandatory distributions and they get even more income that they're like, I don't need this income. Now what? Uh, and then other people, they maybe don't have pensions, but they have big retirement plans. And they no. they keep their lifestyle really cheap, but they don't ever want to take money out. Right. And not passing money along is really important. Or maybe not important. Right. It's like I just have this money and I hope. Yeah, well, and, and it's weird because not everybody has heirs. Strangely enough, not everybody does. And so uh, in, in which case, okay, those circumstances are different. But then the question becomes, would, would you like to have more lifestyle? Or would you like to do intentional impact giving in other areas of, of your life that you think would be beneficial? The nice part about impact giving is that you get to see a little bit of it. And it can still be quiet. It can be anonymous, but you still can get to sort of, sort of see that how that benefits organizations and causes and whatnot. Uh, how do you know, I guess, how do you, how do you advise clients how much they can take out of their retirement plans? Well, when I guess just going back to like what is taught, I guess, or what is most common is a safe withdrawal rate in retirement. So if you spend X amount of dollars, in theory, you should never run out of money. And there's a high probability there'll be a lot of it left over when you're no longer here. Right. And that's usually between four and five percent. Yeah, that's common. And let me just throw this disclaimer out there for anybody that's wondering. Uh, we're not talking terms of guarantees, right? That's not how this works. But probabilities. You know, when you say, well, there's a 99% probability, you go, well, there's a 1% probability you get hit by an asteroid. I don't know. But like something ends the world and so it doesn't work out. But in normal circumstances, it works out, mm -hmm. right? And, and when we say when it's not normal, it's like it's really extreme stuff. Right. There's still a chance that you should build a bunker. Okay. It's just <laughs> such a small chance that it's probably not worth betting the farm on it. Okay. So th there, there lies our issue. All right. So, so four or 5%. Talk to me about what this number means and what does that look like for an investor? Right, let's say somebody's got, I'm going to pick a number that's even for math purposes. Let's say somebody's got, they've saved a million dollars in their retirement accounts. Right. So what, what does that mean in terms of? numbers for people yeah so if you have a million dollars you take four to five percent of the account out so, so that's 40 to fifty thousand dollars thousand dollars and i guess in theory with high probability when if it is invested with a call it just a, a diversified standard portfolio yeah just 
good, good diversified mix of investments here. Right. That in theory, when you, you could take $50,000 a year out of the account and when you were to pass away, you should have roughly a million dollars left over. A little bit less than that. But yeah. De- depending on, but yes. Are you waiting 12 months to take the first distribution and getting it? But yeah. This, this idea of a safe withdrawal rate, there's another way to describe it. What is a sustainable withdrawal rate? Right. And so this between four and 5%, right? If it's 5%, a million bucks is 50 grand. If you think about it at, uh, you know, how much, uh, $4,000 a month, 40,000 a year, that's pretty close. So a million dollars is roughly $4,000 a month. Right. And if it's invested, it's going to change in value, right? It's going to go up and it's going to go down through the market cycles. And what the idea is, if you take $4,000 a month out or less, you'll, you shouldn't run out of money before you die. Right. Okay. And, uh, in, in many cases, you will end up having your account actually grow. So you'll have a million dollars and it will grow because taking four to five thousand dollars out, you may still see your investment get bigger right. over time. And then the issue is, do you adjust your withdrawal rate? And this is how you protect against inflation, right? Right. If I'm taking of again, let's let's call it that four thousand dollars. It's just under five percent in our example here. Uh, then. My, if the account grows from a million dollars to a million and a half dollars, you could theoretically increase your distribution from four thousand to six thousand, and you would have adjusted for inflation. Your asset base has gone up, and you're still withdrawing at a rate that should be presumably pretty safe. Um, it's interesting because if you think I had a million some odd dollars, and if your thought is, if you're listening to this, you go, "Well, if I had a million and a half dollars, I'd go buy that Ferrari." But you probably wouldn't, because if you understood what it took to grow that over a lifetime, that the way that you live has adjusted so that you're not going to suddenly do that. The scarier thing would be the person that inherits a million and a half dollars, and then they go buy a Ferrari. And if they had their own lots of money, and this was just, they were allowed to, I say allowed, but like they had the capacity, well, that's different. But if you just, if it's like a lottery... Remember, two to three years, most lottery winners are broke. Right. Right. Even big lotteries. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, ah, I got $50, 60000000 million. <laughs> How did you spend that in four years? It's like, well, you, know, you should have seen the private jets. It was awesome. It's like, okay, that'll do. So, yeah, I, I think the habits that got you there are the, the key points here. So, yeah, I think that was interesting. Now, I, I do want to do this as we're running. Uh, let's, let's, let's do this. Why don't we grab, you made a really interesting um, comment before talking about being the insurance company. It's kind of a funny one, right? But it's also, I think, a really good thing for uh, our listeners to understand if you think about retirement planning. What is it like if you were an insurance company? That sounds like a crazy question. It'll make more sense after we take this next break because we're going to come back around back then. All right, gang, and we are back. This is Dave Littlejohn with me in studio today. Justin Brogman. And you got the True Wealth Show. Uh, Justin, you you made this comment off camera before, and I wanted to bring it back in. It was You referenced insurance company. I did. And uh, I just want to give you uh, – I'm going to put you the spotlight on you for a second. Talk to me about what you mean. First of all, like why did you use the insurance company, and like what are you talking about? So what we were kind of talking about, I guess, is 
somebody that has a large enough pretty much net worth that they want to start taking distributions from this money and they're not necessarily worried about passing it on to their heirs. Okay. They just want, this is my money. I want to try to spend it. And so what you, in theory, you could do is you could go buy an annuity with that lump sum amount of money and it would pay you an income stream until you pass away. You're, you're talking about like basically buying a private pension. Right. Right. That's how it would behave anyway. If you don't know what that means to you, then it's kind of what he's talking about. Yeah. And so, but then it's, you're passing the risk on to the insurance company because then they're saying, all right, we actuarially think you're going to live that this long. If you live longer, you, well, of course you win, but the insurance company kind of loses based on their, because you live too long. So, because the idea here is you're going to give the insurance company a pot of money and then they have to make it last the rest of your life. Right. And so they're going to guess how long you're going to live. And if you live longer than they guess, they have to make up the difference. So that's how they, air quotes, lose and you win. Uh, But if you don't turn the money over to an insurance company, what you're saying is that you're just putting yourself in the position of being the annuity calculator. Right. Okay. And so then you're just kind of, you say is, well, if I can expect this much and with a high probability in return on an average basis, I think I'm going to live till 90, then you're just can be the insurance company. If you live longer, there's left to curb. You run out, but you accomplish your goal. You live shorter, there's left to So what we're, I think what I hear you saying is, you know, when you talk about a sustainable withdrawal rate, that the, there's one idea. I've said this before too. I use this airplane analogy. One of them is what I call altitude hold, right? Hey, we're flying at 20,000 feet and we're going to set the autopilot and stay up here. And if your account was the altitude, it's not going to change. You're like, well, I'm going to take some money out, but I'm going to, it's the interest, right? So right. basically we're going to take the interest and the growth out of the account. So I had a million dollars in our example in the last segment, took 50 grand out. By the end of the year, it's kind of filled back up to be a million dollars again. And so I just kind of keep skimming it off the top and I never use up the nest egg. Right. Versus what if I took more than that and I started to melt the ice cube, right? Yeah. yeah. And so then we're talking about a controlled descent, which if you're a pilot, there's something called a glide slope. It's the angle that you need to maintain so that you don't fall short of the runway. Right. And so, because you don't want to, you don't want to land short. There's no runway there. So it's how much can I spend to make sure that I don't run out of money before I die? Right. And it's more than the safe withdrawal rate in most cases. Now, the, the less money you have and the more money you take out of it, then the more you need to have everything go right in your favor. Right. Right. It's like, well, I'm going to take 15% of my account out. And you could probably do that for five or six years. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to run out of money. Yeah. Right. But if you're only going to live for three years, then there's a good chance it's still going to work. Right. Uh, it just puts a lot of people in the rather gruesome uh, position of, well, do you really want to time your death? Right. And when you're 65, you're going, yeah. I mean, I look at my parents, they all died in their 70s. And I have the health habits that I do. And like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to make it to 90. You can make a fair assessment, right? right. And, and it's it's interesting because as we all get older, that becomes a more and more real thing is to say, well, you know, we don't last forever. So, so yeah. 
Um, anyway, so I, I do like that the idea of thinking of yourself as well. If you're the insurance company, then what are you doing? You're calculating the risk, right? You know, what's the chance I'm going to have to pay out? And that's kind of self-insuring almost. Sure, sure. And 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 just on a moment, the insurance. You know, what's the place that insurance plays in this whole calculation? Like actual insurance, right? Well, one is if you don't want to manage the risk yourself, you can right. use insurance products like annuities to guarantee an income. Okay. There are also wild cards, um, unanticipated expenses. Uh, so these include things like getting sick, right, or hurt, and then needing help. So um, as uh, we age, we can have things that go wrong, and they can be cognitive, they can be physical, um, both of which can require care. Okay, and so that needs to be a consideration in your costs associated with maintaining your lifestyle. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what people often forget, though. Homeowners often forget that they own a home. Maintenance? Not Well, the maintenance is one thing, but also, but if you consider, if you find yourself in a position where you can no longer take care of yourself, will you stay in your home? Right. The cost of bringing in home health care is different than saying, I'm going to go somewhere I can get care, and my home becomes an asset that can be used to pay for that. Right. So that's true. Uh, I think that's a planning thing worth considering is that, uh, sometimes we forget the assets we have, just like people forget Social Security as part of their retirement income stream. Right. Okay. Here's my favorite question, by the way. By the way, right? It's just like, will Social Security be there for? Me? Okay. It is too long. Right. And what's the what's your answer? Somebody says, "Hey, is Social Security going to be there for me?" I say yes. I don't know what it's going to be worth, but they could just print more money. That's right. It's like, well, you know, we print money for everything else. Why not Social right. Security? Uh, and so I think that's the issue. Now, uh, the, the better question is, yeah, what will the dollars be valued at? Because if, uh, and I know I'm straying into the, into the politics here, but if if we print enough money, right, if, if we're just so drunk on money printing and so reckless um, when we talk about, you know, fiscal policy uh, out of D.C., and I specifically blame D.C. because states can't print money, Right. But if, if we're so reckless that we destabilize the global currency to the point that the dollar ceases to be the reserve currency, and this is possible, it, it seems like it's far out, but we don't, it is possible. Uh, then a lot of the things that we take for granted planning are going to change because it's going right. to destabilize things a lot. I don't say that to panic. I just say that to say, uh, if you believe that anything is free because it was a federal grant or something like that. It's not, right? Like all of it comes with a cost. It's just hard to quantify and it's hard to know when the last shoe drops. Right. So, uh, well, let's let's pivot for the, the last little bit here. And I guess the, the question is, Justin, if you could offer, uh, I'm not going to say a piece of advice, but for folks that are trying to uh, contend with this problem, what do you think are the steps they should take? Oh, I ask ask the questions is probably the biggest one. It's, if you're not sure, it doesn't hurt. And even if it, ask multiple people and see what you know overlaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's one and you don't want to ask people, then come in and see somebody. I mean, that's what people do. Go see a specialist in that field. Yeah. 
And I would encourage you to uh, reach out to a financial professional if uh, you have it. Uh, this is usually where we do our shameless plug. So you can give us a shout. We're at 541-375-0898. But if there's somebody else that you know, like, and trust, certainly reach out to them. Most financial professionals, if you don't already have a relationship with them, will offer some form of consultation to at least assess whether or not they can help. Right. right? Uh, and, and a lot of them, uh, you know, we, we give a lot of this stuff away pretty regularly. Right. And because it doesn't, it, it's just, oh, we have this knowledge, we can pass it on. And that's, that's great. That's not a hard thing for us to do. So not everybody's going to get a big sales hustle. That's not the point. The point is to solve the problem. If, if we end up being able to solve enough problems that it makes sense to work together, fantastic. But if not, that's okay too. We just want to make sure you get to the right spot. Everybody's problem who you need. Exactly. Well, look, the music's playing, so we better run. So we're out of time, but thanks as always for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Justin Bergman. You will listen to The True Well, on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN.